My name is Paul Shangwen. I am the founder of a web development and marketing company called Wild Web. Having had the good fortune of working with an amazing client base of adventurous safari operators for over 20 years, there are so many great stories to tell. Join me as I interview my colleagues who share their experiences and love for the people, places and wildlife of Africa. They say if you're going to go and give something a go, you may as well give it your best shot from the outset. A friend of mine and long-term business associate, Joe Pope, has joined me for today's discussion. Joe and I chat about Zambia, the South Luangwa Valley, and other fascinating destinations that both her and her husband Robin have visited over the years. It's been a real honor to have Joe join me on Zoom from Lusaka and Zambia. It seems fitting as we accustomize ourselves to this pandemic of COVID-19 that a lady of such conviction and determination chats to me about how to deal with this completely weird time. I really do hope you enjoy the show and such a special thanks to Joe for being my first guest. If you have any questions or would like to hear anything different or purely just have some input, please just drop me a line on email paul at wildweb.co.za or drop uh, a comment on any of your preferred platforms that you manage to get this podcast on. I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, good morning, Joe. Thanks very much for joining me on the podcast. Um, how are you guys doing? We're doing fine. We're up in Zambia um, at our house in uh, self-imposed um, isolation uh, during this time. The country has yet really to have um, a COVID spread. So, uh, but we're, because of our age, uh, we decided to go in early. So, but we're doing fine. We're doing fine. We're finding this time uh, really useful to rest and reflect and uh, do the things in the house that we haven't done for, we've been on our to-do list for a long time and never got to. Yeah, I know. It's funny how the, the list is, is actually quite big when you get down to it. And I think a lot of people are going to come out of 21 days and go, gosh, I still could have done so much more. Um, I, I, I thought it was really interesting that Robin kind of called it in so early. Um, you know, Robin being a man that's so closely connected to nature and, and, and being one of the greatest experts in African safaris, uh, I found it interesting that he, that he took this so seriously so earlier. I wasn't one of those people. I was like, this thing's ridiculous. I don't know why people are reacting like this. I wasn't one of those people. Um, but yeah, Robin was. And, and what do you think led him to, to, to feeling like that? Well, um, Robin's always been a cautious person, which it's slightly ironic. He ended up being a safari guide and um, sort of walking with elephants and lions and buffalo. But, you know, I think he did so well in that career because his nature is one of of being prepared and being cautious and, you know, really looking at what the potential is. Um, and I remember when we were in the Luangwa Valley and, you know, every year there's a sort of risk that the Luangwa Valley is going, going to flood over. 
And uh, he had already experienced two floods, one in the 70s, I think they were both in the 70s, one in the 70s, one in the early 80s. And the river would come up every year and he would start getting very anxious and watch it and watch it. And, I, and, and then at some point he would say, okay, we need to start preparing for a flood. And over the years, it didn't happen until 2007. And when it did, we were totally prepared. We'd been preparing for three weeks. We'd packed everything up into, uh, you know, into high areas and uh, we moved the entire admin team uh, on the, the day before it came over we moved the entire team we flew them down to Lusaka and everybody said you're mad what are you doing and we said Robin said I think it's going to flood and and we were totally prepared so he is somebody who prepares um so three weeks before we sort of went inside by self-isolation he said we need to start preparing we don't know what's coming but I want to be prepared for whatever it is so we started buying and and you know seeing how we were going to approach it so yes I live with a prepper he's he's very much uh, somebody who prepares and I am very much somebody who tends to go, well, we'll cope. Don't worry. Whatever comes our way, we'll, we'll be fine. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, we're, we, we're very contrasting characters. But um, I have to say I'm very relieved that I do live with someone who, who thinks like this because I'm very happy in the position I'm in right now. Yeah, I mean, well, it's, it, it goes without saying. I think the two of you made a formidable team right from the beginning. I mean... I remember, if I remember correctly, I, I know you spent a lot of your young days uh, traveling around the world with your dad, who was quite high up in one of the oil companies, wasn't he? The Shuttle BP, or that's right. Um, we we well, he started obviously at the bottom of the ladder, but he did manage to work uh, work his way up at the top um, to the top in Shell. And we, yes, we spent many years in uh, the Middle East, North Africa, and we spent time in Nigeria and West Africa. Uh, we did two stints in Libya, and we were in Doha in the 60s, and Lebanon, and before I was born, Sudan. So, so my early life was um, sort of also slightly living on the edge and in difficult circumstances. And certainly when we were living in Libya, things, it was tricky. I mean, we were there pre-Qaddafi and post-Qaddafi. And the post-Qaddafi era was, you know, we were slightly on tender hooks the whole time because it was very unpredictable. Um, and interestingly, we were in Doha during the um, month-long war between Egypt and Israel. My history is terrible, so I'm not going to even try and get you to the exact year or whatever. But we were there, and uh, we went into a lockdown. I remember that very clearly. I think it was in 68, maybe 69, 69. So, um, and there was, there was quite a lot of difficult things going on out on the streets. And, um, yes, I remember the fear, and I remember... Um, my parents being very anxious about us being in the country. So the, the whole concept of lockdown was quite fearful in the back of my mind. And when we were approaching, although we haven't gone into full lockdown, you know, the whole concept of lockdown with this virus, I was trying to reach to why is this so scary for me? And then I realized there was a, an embedded memory from my youth of a, a frightening lockdown during a war period. And, and uh, once I'd worked that out, 
I felt fine about it all, and a lot of the fear went. But yes, we traveled. We traveled in in areas which were, you know, uh, interesting and slightly edgy. And so, coming in out to Zambia in my late twenties um, to work with Robin in, in the safari industry uh, was quite an easy thing for me to do. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, uh, what year did you come out, Joe? Was it sort of eighty early eighties? No, it was 88. I was 29 years old. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you moved, you, you went to Tenet didn't you, to help uh, with the catering uh, at uh, Tenet Yeah, the hosting and the catering in 1988. And um, at that point, it was a 12-bedded, very simple bush camp um, on the banks of the Luangwa. And we live very much in sort of ice. It was very isolated then. It's a very different game running safaris today with, you know, with satellite dishes and internet and mobile phones. Now, Mm. um, in those days we had to, well, the very early days we were on HF radio to, um, a travel agency in Lusaka and you could hardly hear a word of what they were saying. And we would go to the airport and we would have no idea how many people we were picking up. And <laughs> sometimes we, were, we, we would be expecting two and 10 people got off the plane. <laughs> uh, so my mother always used to say when she was staying at Tenor, um, she, she had memories of beds flying up, you know, flying around the, the camp after the airport, uh, 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 transfer had arrived back in camp. Oh shit! We got another six people than we thought. <laughs> um, but then communications, you know, slowly improved, and we went on to Telex, which was an hour's drive. So every day I had to sort of drive to do the bookings. Um, and then eventually we had um, faxes, and we used to have a guy called Moses who would go from the airport and cycle an hour down towards the camp an hour and a half towards in Kuali at that point so this we're now in our 90s in the 90s right. and um yeah and we would answer write it all out by hand the answers and then he would go back to the airport and send the faxes um, and then that evolved to emails and he would download with a computer and then put it on his his rucksack on his back and then cycle towards the camp <laughs> we'd have to pick him up we'd have to t- pick him up about sort of 10k before the camp because of the elephant. So he wasn't going to get um, sort of hit by an elephant. <laughs> and then we would type out all the answers and then he would cycle back and connect. But eventually we got to having our own satellite dish and, and, and now communications are pretty much where, like they are all over the world. I oh, know it's amazing now. I can have sort of live conversations with lodge managers uh, from my desk and, and yeah, it certainly has changed. But I think those pioneering days and those days where the likes of yourself, Robin, and, and the other great characters of the South of the Wang were really were, uh, had to be really well prepared for, for, for a bush existence. And, um, and I mean, out of that was born uh, the walking safari aspect, uh, which is just so, you know, just really worked well in the, in the South of the Wang And um, how did that all start, Joe, the, the, the walking safaris? Who, who came up with the first idea and, and how did it expand to become such a, an important aspect of doing a safari in the South of the Um Actually, I, I'm, I'm not actually sure, and I really should ask Robin this, but I think, I think uh, Norman Carr was a partner of somebody um, in Kenya and I think they, they came up with the concept 
um, in the 70s. And uh, maybe, maybe even in the 60s, you know, people would go walking from Encephalo Camp, which was the camp that was open there, and some of the other later camps that came in. But Norman Carr sort of um, pioneered the concept of having sort of camps, bush camps in a row, if you see what I mean, sort of in the bush that you walked from one camp to the next. And that was up in Chibembe, at Chibembe, and he had bush camps across the river there. Um, and of course, you could do sort of morning or afternoon walks from the camp and back to, to a camp. But the, I, the concept of moving sort of across an area of the bush and staying in different camps with your luggage being at that point ported to the, to the camp ahead of you uh, was pioneered uh, by Norman in, at Chibembe. And Robin was one of the guides doing that. So when Robin then moved to Insefu camp um, as manager and then uh, he, he worked there for, for, he ran that camp for five years and then he opened Tenor Tenor um, as his own company. He really wanted to incorporate walking. I mean, obviously we did walking every day from the camp and back to the camp, but he wanted to develop a walking um, model where we could go into a very remote area and walk down a river. So we chose the Mupamadzi, uh, which is right up in the north of the park. And we did it with a completely mobile unit. So uh, on a truck, the mobile unit would, would go up and set up the camp and then the clients would arrive the next day. And over five days, we moved over three camps. At the beginning, we thought we would move every, every night um, to a new camp, but the clients found it um, a little bit extreme and it was very difficult for you know, the, the food and the freezers and the laundry and all, all the logistics. So we ended up doing two nights and two of the camps and one, and one night and one of the camps. And that's worked really well. We started that in 91 and that exact model is still going. So that's 29 years now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I had the privilege of doing it once uh, with, with Andy from the Bush Camp Company when I started with Hayden, you know, in 2001. And I remember just thinking what a, what a really awesome uh, way it is to be in the bush, just on your feet, walking through with a guard that understands the environment so well and really puts you at ease. I mean, it is, I think for a lot of people, and even including myself, who was fortunate to grow up in the bush quite a lot, I, I found it, you know, you, you, you're aware that you're at the same level as predators and, um, you know, you've, you've, got to, you've got to be aware of your environment. And I think the longer you're on it, the more naturally aware you become. Um, generally, I know Robin was, he's a very cautious man and so well prepared and has an inherent understanding for the bush, um, just a special understanding. Um, and, and how did the, it must have been quite a hard sell, I would expect, to try and sell uh, an idea that you're going to walk in, in, in the bush belt with predators around, uh, uh, how, how was that taken? And, 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 and was there ever a real factor, the, 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 the scary part of it? Um, I think I think the concept of walking, you know, from one of the camps out in the morning and back again, sort of people felt, you know, and you make the choice the night before, are you going to walk or are you going to drive? And I think people felt quite, quite comfortable with that because they knew that, you know, if they did a walk and then they felt 
were uncomfortable with it and it was a bit beyond their their um fear sort of level they would then choose to drive after that and that would be fine but commit yourself to going into a very remote area and only being able to walk um was quite a hard sell especially at the beginning um but of course like all these things you know the moment you you at the beginning, you, you, it was hard to sell, and we got we got some people coming in and, and doing it, and then they'd go back to their agents and say, "No, it truly really was an incredible experience. We got so sort of deeply into the bush, um, and then the, the the agents get more secure, and so it, it ripples out, and eventually it it was okay. But it is a big commitment of time and money for the guest when you know when you're on foot, although you if you're in a high, um, sort of a big five area or a sort of big, big animal area, you, you do see almost as much as you would from a, from a vehicle. If you're in a more remote area, the game tends to be a little more skittish. They're not sort of used to, uh, people so much, or they may, it may be even a slightly higher poaching area because it's remote. So, so you have to work a little bit harder to get closer to the game, etc. So, Again, it's got to be you know you, the guests you're looking for are people who really want to immerse themselves and get away from the vehicles and really truly immerse themselves in the bush for a five day period. Yeah, it's 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 a much smaller market than come to a safari lodge. <laughs> yeah, but but also just yeah, and also maybe it's just that opportunity to learn about the small things, the grasses, the fauna, the flora. The yeah, um, and then also I just find it always so interesting to see how. Uh, you know, people that are so wide into the bush, like Robin, get to read it. Um, do you think it's something that is an acquired skill, or do you think it's something that you're kind of born with, or maybe a combination of both? I, I think if I if I was to talk about Robin, I think Robin, um, from his very very early days, you know, was running around the bush and you know camping and fishing and you know in from wherever they lived, they lived in various places in Zambia. Um, he was naturally drawn to nature. Um, but I, I also think you learn, you, you learn the skills, you learn to open your senses, you learn what different noises are meaning. Um, and Robin, again, uh, you know, being somebody who takes it very seriously and cautiously, if he hasn't been in the bush for a while, he won't go straight into a walking safari he would need to be in the bush for four or five days um, to reopen those sensor, senses and, and reopen that sort of neural pathways, if you see what I mean. And before he's comfortable taking guests out on a, on a, on a walking safari. Um, and I used to find that sort of somehow a little frustrating when I was sort of doing the marketing and sales. It was like, Robert, you know how to do this. And he would just say, <laughs> yes, but I'm not, I'm not tuned in. I need to tune in. And it takes time. You can't expect me to just go from London to jumping into a walking safari. Um, and actually talking about that, it, it, it's quite interesting because we lived in the bush and you had to be acutely aware all the time. I mean, lions would come into the camp or elephants were around the corner, etc. So you had to be very uh, acutely aware and have all your senses open, smell um, and particularly sound and sight. You know, you sort of not date, you couldn't live in the bush in a daydreamy state. Um, and then we'd go to London on our marketing um, trips and visit my family and 
you'd walk down Kensington High Street with all your senses wide open and it would be overwhelming and you had to sort of consciously switch your your dials down so your senses were far less acute um, and sensitive mm-hmm. um, and and in reverse when you came back to the bush you had to di- consciously dial back up again in order to to, to be in a, a place where you're safe living in the bush so I, I did get his caution there yeah, I can relate it to sailing too. You know, like if you're on a, on a boat for a couple of days, after some one or two days, you'll, you'll be asleep at night and, you know, the, the, the wave motion will change or something and all of a sudden it, 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 it wakens up your senses to get up and go and check on things. Yeah. Because you start yeah. to yeah. the environment, you know. Um, yeah. Cool. Amazing what we do have available to our senses. Um, Joe, I think the first time I met you was in, in actually uh, – at the World Travel Market at Earl's Court, probably 2002, I just started my trip with Hayden and we were building. And when I was at, at the World Travel Market um, and we were doing brochures and, and a bit of websites, uh, I remember, I think it might have been Andy, said, said to me, Paul, if you want to know about marketing, go and speak to the guru, Joe Pope. And, and at that stage, you, you were on your stand and you had that lovely orange sunset walking safari glossy brochure. And you were leading uh, the game, really, I, I felt, in Zambia. And, um, and it went on for many years um, and very successfully. And, and I think it's just obviously being an incredibly dynamic woman. You've, you've, you've been so successful in, 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 in so many things that you've done. Um, but yet you've traveled a lot too and you've always kept your interests in, in, in going to different places and, and obviously being married to Robin, you, 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 both of you, have had that appetite, and I know you've you've gone to a lot of places in Zambia. Um, you know some others are like Lua, uh, the Kasanka area, and 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 um, uh, maybe even uh, the, uh, the the swamps. And uh, just out of those areas, uh, which one has been your favourite, and, and and which parts of Zambia do you do you think now you you love the most and enjoy going back to? Ah, uh, difficult question. Um, and obviously, you know, South Luangwa, uh, incredible Luangwa River, and the Lower Zambezi, the amazing Zambezi River, and the mountains there, really, really beautiful. But there are two places that we go back to, we try and go back to every single year. Uh, the Nika Plateau, right up in the northeast, which is a national park uh, that is shared by Malawi and um, Zambia. Uh, in fact, Zambia only has 10% of it and Malawi has 90% of it. But in my mind, I'm still going up to Zambia, <laughs> so going up to a park in Zambia. Um, we try and get, it's a two-day drive. It's a long way. We try and get up there every single year. Um, we failed this last Christmas, but we're booked for two weeks this, this coming Christmas. And it's an incredibly beautiful, uh, restorative place. Uh, you, you can, it, it really is a high plateau. So from the edge of the plateau, you're, you're seeing right across, you know, literally a hundred miles of, of, of ranges of mountains. There are beautiful flowers in the flowering season, great birds it, 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 and game and, and plains game, leopard. We see leopard there. But just fantastic to be up there seven, 8,000 feet high and really, really, we just love it. We really love it up there. The other place is the extreme opposite um, and also at sort of opposite end of the country. So is Lua Plains, which is 
as it implies, a huge flat plain area um, on the edge of the Zambezi flood, uh, the Barotsi floodplain. Um, and Robin has guided there a lot. Uh, we first went there in the 91, I think it was, and or 1990. And uh, Robin loves guiding out there. Um, very magical place. Again, incredible flowers in the flowering season. Um, and birds, it's, it's part of the migratory route coming on the, on the west side of Africa. Um, incredible game viewing, but it's really, really great. Just it's somewhere you can just really uh, soften and, and be right in there with nature. And uh, we really love it there. So we try and get, go to both those places every year. Wow, that's awesome. And both sort of a two-day, I suppose, do also a two-day drive from Lusaka, yeah? No, it's not. It's um, sort of door-to-door from our house to where we where we go is um, a sort of 13-hour drive. You can do it in a day. Okay. Cool. And getting, a long day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a long day, that's for sure. Which I think uh, we all yeah. do in Africa. It's kind of like you just slip into a mode when you're driving. I do so much yeah. stuff and I've kind of got used to just enjoying the trip as much as the destination because it's the only way of these long, slow drives that one tends to do. And we all know that the only way to do them is quite slowly and cautiously because there's a lot of unexpected stuff going on in the roads. Um, so, so um, yeah, I mean, uh, just on the newer planes, I've heard they're quite good. Uh, there's quite good uh, pride of line there too. Is, is that right? Yeah, the, the lion story um, has, has been an interesting one, and without going into too much detail, there, there were quite a lot of lions there in the early 90s. And then there was a period we couldn't go because of the Angolan War. Um, it was unsafe, and the national parks weren't sort of really present there for, for a period in, in the 90s, uh, into the mid-2000s, really. And... Um, there ended up being one lion, lioness left, and she became uh, Lady Lua. She she became really famous, and there was a documentary made on her. And she was clearly very lonely, and she got very attached to um, Herbert, who was the guy making the doc- documentary, and used to sleep outside his tent and all this stuff. It was anyway. So we started um, safaris up uh, up again in I think two thousand and seven or eight, and. Um, she would be in the camp most evenings. And it was, you know, it was a bit tricky, actually. We had to be really careful. Um, there was one night when um, she was rubbing herself against someone's bed through the canvas, and his bed was literally moved across the whole tent as she was doing this. Um, slightly alarming. Um, but then uh, African Parks came in. African Parks, as you know, it sort of looks for areas that really need extra help um, across Africa, national parks that, 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 that need to be um, sort of renovated, if you know what I mean, and, and, and uh, supported. And they came in and in uh, probably about 13 years ago, and they, they brought some lines in, they transferred some lines in. And so there's been a sort of long process um, of Lady Lua mating and... In fact, she didn't mate. She didn't actually have, she didn't have cubs with the two males that were brought in. But another female was brought in, Hope, and she did mate. And it's been, it's been tougher than expected. You know, a number of lions have been tra- uh, translocated in. 
Um, and there's been quite a few deaths for various reasons. And there's still a, a male there um, and a couple of females and some cubs, um, but it hasn't really expanded in the way they were hoping. Interesting. It's just it's amazing yeah. how some animals just work in, in, in some areas uh, better than others. And, and you know, I suppose you only know it until you try. I think wild dogs are a very good example of that, aren't they? They get introduced into areas and they, they either work or they don't. Um, yeah. Well, the interesting thing about wild dogs are that there were what had been some great wild dogs that were sort of naturally there. Um, we used to have fantastic sightings of wild dogs. And then over a couple of years, they, they just dispersed and suddenly we were not seeing them at all. And so, you know, wild dogs do move on. Yeah. And there may be um, pressure from local communities sort of encroaching mm. that, you know, perhaps move them on. But um, certainly in Lua, that wild dogs uh, haven't been seen for quite a long time yet. Yeah, yeah. So, Joe, we... we uh... You know, I think it was 2010 that uh, yourself and Robin uh, decided to, to step back a little bit from active safari, uh, safari management and, um, and then kind of got into, and, and since then, uh, I know Robin's still been doing specialised safaris into areas and, and you've been doing so many other interesting things, including the agency in Lusaka and, and some of the, the more charitable work. Uh, uh, one of the, the big charities that you've been so involved in was the um, Project Luangwa. Um, I, I know we do some work with them, we help with some of the communication, but what's the basic history behind uh, Project Luangwa? Well, um, so from in, in 1988, I got involved in helping the school in the in Sefu uh, village area where most of our staff were coming from and I remember I used to do the drives to go and pick up the staff and we would meet at the school and it was such a dilapidated old uh, building that had been built I think in the 40s and you know there were about 200 kids going to school in this one little classroom and I that's kind of when it started and um so I started helping the school and with books, getting books, um, building a new classroom with, with obviously with, you know, people, our guests donating money, um, you know, putting a borehole in, et cetera. And that just kept building and building. So uh, 20 years later, we had built three schools from scratch and um, this, the Kwaza school had gone from about 200 to about uh, 1,000 pupils. And when we were leaving um, Robin Pope's Faris, uh, the new owners actually uh, said, look, this, this is really your passion and it's going to be really hard to keep it going at, at, in the way that you have wanted it to be. So what we decided was that I would take, take the work out of... Um, Robin Pope's Faris and create a, a new charity uh, that is independent and invite other lodges to contribute to it. Mm. And actually, which is which makes it more self-sustainable rather than reliant on one person, which is how Kawaza School Fund was uh, right. over those twenty years. So, uh, and then, and Project Luangwa so started ten years ago. And oh my goodness, we've done so much, and we had. Um, a couple, Karen and Dave, who did a really amazing job. They they dedicated their 
really 10 years to that, to, to building up um, schools and with, with the work of the other lodges, um, uh, the member lodges, and also Bushcam Company, Andy um, contributed quite a lot to the, the building of a, a secondary school there, well, mm. a lot to building a secondary school. And so what, it, what Project Luangwa has done is sort of brought tourism together more to work with the community rather than everybody having their individual projects. Yeah. Um, which kind of means that the, the safari operators can get on with their core business. And the way the money is raised is um, by adding $10 per bed night um, to the invoice and 50% of that goes to conservation in the area and 50 goes to the community. And then each lodge has a choice of where they put that conservation money and that community money. So we have member lodges and we have other lodges who also support um, like Bush Camp Company. So, um, you know, AD at Flat Dogs has been an incredible support and um, obviously Robin Pope's Safaris and Shenton's Safaris, Kafunta and Crop Farm were sort of the original um, members and that's sort of shifting and changing as it always will. Um, but we, Karen and Dave actually left six months ago. And so, so I have sort of been running it for the last six months. And as of 1st of April this year, um, last week, uh, Ian McKellen was supposed to join us, but unfortunately he got, he got caught in a lockdown in England. So that was that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so but we actually because tourism i mean tourism has stopped I and mean, i'm sure it has throughout south africa you're all in lockdown but um you know all the camps are closed in zambia right now and you know proflight uh, which is the airline in zambia i'm also involved in as a shareholder and director uh we're not flying uh due to lack of demand and yeah, so right now Zambia is in a very strange place, as is I'm sure all the African countries, all well, all the the, the, the tourism um, sort of centres of the world are just sort of sitting there empty at the moment, uh, which is yeah. quite alarming, I have to say. It's, it's super scary. I mean, I, I listened to a talk yesterday uh, put on by TripAdvisor, and um, yeah, I mean, I think the writing on the waters are basically saying, especially for countries or areas like southern and eastern Africa. But pretty much like you say, worldwide, that uh, we're potentially only looking at sort of getting back into the type of business we're in in November. Um, and really, we need to start thinking about next year realistically, which is, you know, for guys like me who, who live off the, the industry and, and, and guys like, like you who, who, who did in the past and, and all those current lodges and all my clients dotted all over southern and eastern Africa is... Is such a scary prospect because I know that so much of the money that is generated through tourism ends up, uh, you know, helping the local communities, whether it's schooling or health. Um, so much good work is done and, and, and it all comes, I think, well, a lot of it comes from essentially people being exposed to Africa and wanting to, to contribute. And now that is out for a year. So not only do I think our industry is going to suffer tremendously. The, the local communities and the people who have jobs, those great guys that get tipped, uh, et cetera, are not going to be taking money home this year. It's, it's a very scary prospect across the board. 
Well, it is. Um, and as we all know, if we sit in our, if we sit in fear, we lose our executive center, and it's really hard to um, innovate, make a plan, um, accept the situation. So I think it's really important to get through the fear as fast as possible, mm-hmm. because there's got to be ways. There has to be ways to to um, mitigate this uh, as much as we can. Um, but while we're sitting in fear, it, we're not going to we're not going to find those creative solutions. We're not going to have the imagination to do that. Um, so, yeah, I'm involved in, an, in a number of companies that are, you know are currently sort of, uh, particularly the airline industry. I'm involved in a charter company and a, a scheduled airline, which is um, not the not the industry to be in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have we have to think we have to get through the fear get to a place of, of acceptance of this is the reality and what can we do um, in, you know, what, what, what is the most we can make out of this? What can we, how can we find ways of um, making money? I'm just, I mean, just from the top of my head as, as I'm saying this, you know, could it be that somebody, because the people are living in the bush, right? I mean, you know, people are out living in their camps. The owners mm-hmm. of the camps are still yeah. there. You know, if they were going out and photographing what they were seeing and then mm-hmm. putting that online and asking for donations. I mean, there, there are possibilities. Sure. Um, you know, what could the community, I'll have to think about that. <laughs> what could, no, no, how can the, thing, Marbury, you, know, you know, because it's, 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 it's and, and some stuff that's really interesting is, and even Polly, my daughter, wakes up at six o'clock in the morning to watch a live game drive in the Saudi Sands because it's done by some really good game draw, uh, guards who are explaining yeah. and you're kind of watching it unfold live. So it's really funny. You can ask some questions yeah. on Twitter. And, and that kind of innovation is, Definitely an option, not quite the same as being obviously in the bush, but but there are certainly opportunities like you. And you're right. I mean, we can't be scared about it. We've got to we've got to think of ways. I think this is why I'm trying to start a podcast too. You know, I want to start talking yeah. about this place, and hopefully people will listen to it and and be inspired to, to go to places that we all know yeah. so much. Um, yeah. So, Joe, I think also you've you not only you know know Africa well, you. You've been to some really cool places, and I'm incredibly jealous of you having gone to Antarctica. It's my dream destination. One fine day I'll get there. Um, yeah, it, just in terms of your your adventures uh, on the globe, uh, which ones have been your favourite? Oh, gosh, so many. Um, I have to say Antarctica, which uh, I think was 2009, um, remains very, very high on my list of incredible experiences. But I think it's really key to point out that we went to South Georgia as well, um, which was always the plan. I, 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 Cindy Buxton, I don't know if you remember, <clears throat> probably not, you're probably younger than me, got caught on uh, South Georgia in, during the Falklands War. And she was making natural history film there. And <clears throat> she got caught in a place called St. Andrew's Bay. Uh, where there are um, 200,000 pairs of king penguins who um, breed there every year. So when you go there, where the chicks, if the chicks are hatched, there are half a million king penguins in this one bay area. Uh, and it is quite an extraordinary sight. It's quite an extraordinary smell. And the noise is 
absolutely uh, outrageous. I mean, it's just the noise, the smell, the sight. It's it's a huge, huge experience. Wow. Um, so I remember that from my younger days that she, she was caught there. And that's when South Georgia really first came up to me. But of course, the Shackleton story, etc. So when we decided to go to Antarctica, we said we must get to South Georgia. And it, it makes it a much longer trip. We, we were on the boat for uh, 19 nights in total. So it was the Falkland, South Georgia, and then the peninsula of um, Antarctica. But what an incredible trip. I can I could describe every day to you in detail uh, 12 years on. So that's how vivid it is in my memory. And recently we went to Outer Mongolia uh, to... To, we went to the Gobi Desert first of all, but then we flew out right up into the far wet northwest of Mongolia, um, and we watched the golden. We were there for the Golden Eagle Festival, which was an incredible experience, very cultural, but also very, uh, very beautiful scenery and um, just you know just wild. It was just very wild and very very different. So that was that was an incredible thing. But last year we we drove up um, west. South Africa and did the, the flower. We went up for the flowers in the Macro land. In fact, we went all the way up to, to Fish River Canyon and then slowly made our way down. <clears throat> and we had an incredible time with that, with the flowers and the birds and the views and the mountains and the sea. I mean, it really was, we had a really great two weeks. So it doesn't, we don't, we don't have to uh, travel all over the world. There's so much on our doorstep as well. And I suspect after this COVID period, um, there's going to be much more domestic uh, or re and regional travel uh, for the first year, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think very often we uh, are wanting to get out and far away. And actually, there's so much around us that we don't pay attention to. So I suspect that's what's going to happen. Absolutely, especially for nature lovers, endless amount. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And any 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 places left on the bucket list, eh, Joe, that you you definitely want to get to? I've never seen the Himalayas, um, oh. which seems a bit odd, <laughs> but but I haven't, and so I definitely uh, want to go and see the Himalayas and and. You know, there's still, Af we've never been to Ethiopia. There's still African countries that we want to get to. Never been to Angola, and the places Angola. But in particularly, um, because we love the whole Lua area so much, you know, so much of the water that floods onto the, into the Zambezi and that whole Barotsi flood is actually water from Angola. And there's a huge swamp area um, mm. that then drains into the rivers um, on either side of um of Lua and and then and then into the Zambezi and I'd love to go and see that to see the other side of Lua if you see what I mean I always see yeah. it as the reflection of Lua. Yeah. Uh, so there's you know, there's so many there's so many places there's so many places. Yeah, that's true. I also want to get up to Lua. I haven't been there, um, and I am. I'm looking forward to just doing a lot of local travel too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Paul, here's an invitation then. Please, when you go to Lua, let us be with you. Oh, that would be such a treat. You know, I've, uh, it's only yeah. it's only a 13-hour drive from us. <laughs> we would love to share the Lua with you. Oh, we would love oh, to share the Lua. Well, Joe, we definitely have to do that. I, I, uh, there's two people I probably have always wanted to spend a bit of time in the bush with. 
one is Steve Edwards from the Sanger, and, and we were lucky enough mm-hmm. to do that in family uh, a few years ago. And the other is to walk in the bush with you and Robin and, and just see a man who's so wired into his environment to, to be in a perfect place. Uh, it would be definitely up there on the greatest things for me to do in the bush. Um, yeah. Well, Joe, thanks so much. Uh, I think it went great. I think it sounded great. And, uh, you know, hopefully everybody's going to enjoy it as much as we enjoy talking to each other. And, uh, and let's see how it goes. Um, before I do go, I forgot to mention Classic Safari Camps of Africa. You, you, you were uh, the chair lady of it uh, when you left um, Ron Pope. And that's changed from Classic Safari Camps of Africa to Classic Safari Africa. Um, and so many lovely members. Uh, just a quick, quick thoughts on, on, on your journey with Classic. Well, I, I remember very clearly, we were, um, a bunch of us were at ITB uh, many years ago, I, I, in the 90s, and we were sort of struggling with the stands that uh, our countries had, uh, you know, our country tourist boards had put up, and, and we kind of just said that we, we need to be able to do it our way, and so that's kind of how Classics was born, and it was... You know, it's a very tumultuous journey, I have to say, with a lot of egos and a lot of different mm-hmm. ideas and, yeah. um, and you know, ups and downs and ins and outs. But it was an incredible journey. And, uh, you know, the, the Classics members were really very much part of um, my tourism life for 20 years. And uh, absolutely, you know, adored me. We, we used to meet up for our AGM some somewhere in Africa, one of the members' lodges. So I, we all got to see uh, different areas that we would probably not have got to. Um, and you know, they all became became very good friends. And I, you know, since leaving the tourism industry, which I really sort of have, um, and although I I popped down to uh, the the last AGM because it was in Tonga Bay, easy to get to. Um, it was, you know, it was lovely to see everybody. And I do, I do miss that side, that social side of tourism and the connection um, in the industry. But at the same time, it was time for me to leave. And the life that, that I've had in the last 10 years has been, um, you know, very interesting and varied. And actually, just for the record, I'm now a life coach and I, I do transitional life coaching with young Zambians and I really love it. So... Um, I would never have guessed that was going to happen. Who knows what's going to happen next? Well, I think uh, certainly the, the stories and the chapters of Joe Pope will continue for some time to come. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. yeah, you have, you've contributed so much towards uh, Zambia and tourism and the people of Zambia, Joe. It's, it's amazing. Thanks so much. It's been well, such a cool privilege to speak to you and uh, we'll chat soon and I'm looking forward to do it for sure. Great. I look forward to Lewis too. So thanks very much, Paul. It's been fun chatting. Okay, lots of love. Bye. Well, there you go. First podcast done. Thanks so much, Joe, for coming on. It was awesome to chat to you. Uh, if any of the listeners are interested in helping Joe with uh, Project Luangwa, they have a website. Uh, it's projectluangwa.org or just Google it and you'll find them. Of course, if you've got any other questions, Uh, Just drop us a line and we'll get straight back to you. Thanks a lot. Bye.